If you got your Bibles, open up to Nehemiah chapter 6. That's where we're going to be at tonight, Nehemiah 6 and chapter 7. So far, as we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, we have seen that there has been a lot of resistance to Nehemiah and to the plan that God had for him. He had some outward attacks. He had some inward attacks. And when those failed and when those didn't work, now we're going to look at some personal attacks. You know, I found that oftentimes people can be cruel towards one another, can't they? If you don't agree with them, the easiest way to get rid of them or to cause them pain is to personally attack them, right? And oftentimes that happens. In other words, if we disagree with somebody, it's just easy for us to take the low road because we want to lift ourselves up. Now, I grew up with two brothers. I had an older brother and a younger brother. And when you have an older brother and a younger brother, and well, if you have any brothers, uh, you kind of have those cut-down contests. Anybody ever have those? You have brothers and sisters, you kind of cut each other down. And it's even better when you do it in front of mom and dad, because you're like trying to raise your game, you know, as though they're going to look at you and go, that's it, son, get him again, you know? And, uh, but that's what happens. A lot of times you try to personally attack one another. And, and this happens so often, even in life. I mean, we see this going around nowadays that, hey, if I can't beat you any other way, I'll just cut you down so that nobody else will want to listen to you and nobody else will want to believe you. Just, just watch our media and you see that happens, right? Now, personally attack. Nehemiah was going to go through some extreme personal attacks. And all because he was trying to do God's will. And I'm here to tell you, if you're trying to do God's will and somebody begins to personally attack you, just know that they're being used by Satan. Now, a lot of times we will want to retaliate. We'll want to speak out against them. We'll want to say something to them. We'll want to, we'll want to retaliate and get them back. We'll want to make them feel the harm that they've made us feel. But the Bible clearly teaches us that our battle is not against them, but it's against the spirit and principalities that are using them. We're fighting on a different plane. If we begin to fight on the same plane as them, we're fighting on enemy territory. But if we stand strong and we recognize that it is a spiritual battle, that we're not really fighting that person, but it's that there's something behind them that is trying to defeat us, something that's behind them that's trying to tear us down. If we'll realize that we're fighting on a different plane, we can't lose the battle. We can't. Because when you have the higher ground, you're in a better position. But when you get on the same plane, you're in trouble. You see, Nehemiah was going to face this resistance. He was going to face these personal attacks. And so tonight we're actually going to look at three attacks against Nehemiah personally and then a problem that the nation of Israel was going to face as well. So the first attack that we see against Nehemiah are lies. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Senbalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian... And the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. That Sembalad and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono, but they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times. After this sort, and I answer them after the same manner. Then sent Sambalat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, Gashmoth saith it, 
that thou and the Jews think to rebel for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying there is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore God strengthen my hands. Nehemiah had to deal with lies. And you think about it, in verse 2, they're trying to meet together. It says, Sembal and Geshem sent unto him, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. They wanted to meet together. They said, yeah, and, and that sounds like a good thing, you know, when the enemy wants to meet with you, right? Uh, there, there are some positives and some negatives. Have you ever thought about, you know, if you just sit down and you're just trying to work things out and you just try to talk to them, here's the thing you need to realize. Sometimes there are enemies out there that no matter if you have the right strategy, no matter if you have the right heart, no matter if you have the right plan, no matter if you're doing the things of God, they don't care what you're doing. They are simply out to destroy you. They don't care. So sometimes meeting with them is not always the positive thing. And when I look at this, I started thinking, okay, what are some of the positives that could come out of Nehemiah meeting with these guys? we got to think about it. They're kind of going through a difficult time, kind of a famine, so there's a lack of food. So maybe this will help them in, in getting some food. Now they've got help and they've got comfort from other nations, and these other guys will come in and bring them food and help them because Nehemiah was having to support a lot of people and feed a lot of people. So this would have been a positive for Nehemiah if he'd have met with them. Also, there would have been a truce. There would have been peace. Instead of these enemies coming down to attack them, now, now they can kind of stand down. They can kind of lighten the military. They can kind of soften things. They won't have to carry their swords around while they're building the walls. And they can kind of loosen up a little bit. And so it won't be so difficult for them. What was another positive out of it was that'd be one less problem they'd have to deal with. Now they don't have these enemies coming down and trying to hurt them. So there were some positives that would come out of it. But what were the negatives? That's the thing. It's always good sometimes when you're trying to think about what you should do. Weighing out the positives and the negatives sometimes can really help. So what are the negatives? Well, there was inadequate leadership. Nehemiah knew that if he left, that people would return to their old ways. He was a little bit concerned about that. Isn't that interesting? I mean, you think about it. Somebody all of a sudden would return to their old ways. The answer is yes, when leadership is gone. The old saying is, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And it happens. And it happens, why? Because they vie for power. With no leadership there, and Nehemiah knew that once he was gone, there was, there was a power vacuum. All of a sudden, it's sucked out of there, and people will want what they want and want to do what they want to do. And Nehemiah knew, it's not a good time for me to leave. There were also corrupt leadership. Nehemiah was already dealing with the elders. He was dealing with the rulers, and he was dealing with the priests. He was dealing with guys who were taking money away from people, and he was selling them into slavery. And so he was dealing with all kinds of issues, and this is the people that they would be left with if his leadership was gone. And not only that, but there was danger. He knew it was nothing but deception, that they were out to assassinate him, to take his very life. So they used lies to, to spawn it. And look what it says in verse 4. It says, yet they sent it to me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. If they really wanted to talk, why didn't they come to Nehemiah? If they really wanted to deal with the issues, if they really wanted to sit down and discuss it, why didn't they come on a plane where Nehemiah would have been safe? 
Because it was never about making a truce. It was never about making things right. It was just about getting him away so they could kill him. That was it. Nehemiah was dealing with these eyes. But then verse 5, they step it up a notch. He says, Then sent Sambalat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Now, you want to understand what he means by an open letter. It means it was getting ready to be read in front of all the people. That's kind of like airing your dirty laundry on Facebook. You guys ever done that? Man, there are some people that drives me crazy. I'm like, really? You want everybody to know that? So you just decide that I'm trying to be super spiritual and have you pray for this brother who did such and such to me. No, you're trying to be a gossip. That's it, plain and simple. Why air your dirty laundry on it? Y'all pray for my brother. He did such... That you're just wanting to gossip. And what drives me nuts is that's the same thing that's going on here. He figured if I air the whole thing out, if I tell all these lies, Nehemiah's going to have to drop everything he's doing and come to me. And you know what Nehemiah said? Nehemiah said, you know what? I don't care what you're going to say about me. I don't care how much you're going to fight against me. I don't care what. And you look at this in verse 6. He, he reads, he says, Wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen, that Geshemoth said that thou and the Jews think to rebel. Think to rebel. Not only that, but he goes even further. He says, for which thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. In other words, you're trying to be a leader. You've even got prophets who are going to preach in Jerusalem that you're the new king. Now, all of a sudden, if this word gets back to Cyrus and the kings of the Medes and the Persians, there'll be an all-out war. There'll be all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of problems. Nehemiah's got to try to settle this case, right? Because he knows these are nothing but lies. Can I tell you something? People can lie about you. But the question is, how will you handle it? You know, they lied about Jesus. That's how he ended up on the cross, right? And what did Jesus do? He went silently. Can I tell you something? If you're right and they lie about you, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to defend yourself. I learned that a long time ago. Why? Because my integrity is between me and God. And hopefully everybody else sees it as well. But here's the truth. Some people just, you ready for this? Some people just love to believe lies. People are always quick to believe the worst about others. Aren't they? They are so quick to believe the worst about others they're so quick to take on the ridicule and believe it they're so quick to listen to somebody talk about another person can I tell you something this this is what I've always told people when somebody comes up and says oh I think you need to know about so and so I'm good I'll learn on my own if God wants me to know guess what he'll do he'll reveal it to me I don't need somebody else to tell me about so and so I'll figure it out and if I don't figure it out then that's my own fault but I don't want to be privy to that stuff. I don't want to be a part of that stuff. Why? Because a lot of times it is so easy to believe the negative about somebody else. Why don't we go around and share positive things? Why don't we go around and talk about the good that's going on in people's lives? Because that's just not as good a news as bad. But look at how Nehemiah faced this. In verse 9 it says, For they all made us afraid, saying their hands should be weakened from the work. That's what they wanted to do, to weaken them. That it be not done. Now therefore God strengthen my hands. He met their lives with open denial and prayer. 
Why does prayer always seem to be the last weapon in our arsenal that we'll use? When in truth, it ought to be the first thing. God ought to be the first one that we turn to when we start to face problems. When somebody starts to lie about you, go to God in prayer. Can I tell you something? God can shut their mouths. I've seen people literally get laryngitis because they were running their mouth too much. God will shut their mouths. He'll do it in a heartbeat. Now, here's the truth. I mean, if God can use a donkey, sometimes he can use them too. So maybe you ought to listen to something they're saying because there may be something true about it. But if it's not true, then don't retaliate. Don't respond back. Move forward. Pray. Seek the face of God and move on without it. Nehemiah faced these lies and he faced them head on. He faced them by praying. Not only did he face lies, but they also tried fear tactic. Verse 10. Afterward, I came under the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabel. And we shut up and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me for Tobiah and Sembalad had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin and that they might have a matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sembalat according to these their works and on the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets that they would have put me in fear. I wonder what will you do when you're scared? What will you do when you're fearful? What would somebody have to do to make you afraid? Can I tell you, when my wife and I were dating, when we were engaged, we wanted to find a church that the both of us could go and serve and grow and learn. And so we went to this church. We actually went to the church where we were going to be married. We thought, well, we'll give them a shot because they're allowing us to get married in their building. So we'll go check this church out. It was Sure Foundation Baptist Church. And the pastor stands up there to preach. And he has this big old grocery paper sack. You know, not the, not the plastic bags, but the paper sack. And he goes, today's message is, I want to show you what God loves the most. And so he takes this paper bag and he shakes it and something moved. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself and I tell my, I tell my fiance at the time, I said, if that dude pulls out a snake... There will be a brand new door in this church because I will make my way out of here. It will not take two seconds. Well, for 30 minutes, he had people coming up and looking inside the sack. I'm telling you, he, he really had a great sermon that morning. And he eventually reaches in after he calls up about 30 people to come up there and look in the sack, and he pulls a mirror out. I was thinking, dude, we ain't coming back. But I did. I, I thought, what would happen if that was a snake, you know? Because I'm going to be honest, that's my biggest fear, snakes. Now, if y'all use that against me, I will haunt you, all right? But you think about it. I mean, fear. What will we do when we fear? They were trying to make him afraid. He says, look, they're going to they're gonna come at you at night. Can I tell you something? You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to make you afraid to come to church, doesn't he? I mean, we can look at what happened in Texas and people can go, whoa, 
I won't go to church no more. Can I just tell you something? I don't fear things like that. You want to know why? Because if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. So I'm not afraid of that. I'm not going to stop coming to church. If I die in the pulpit, hallelujah, that's the best way to go. I'm here to tell you, Satan's not going to keep me from coming to church. He's not going to frighten me. He's not going to worry me. I'm not worried because he can't do anything to me that God won't allow him to do. He can't touch me if God won't let him. But that's the thing. So often we will allow fear to drive us in everything. Oh, I can't go to school. I remember when 9-11 happened. Yeah, we don't want to forget that, right? Seems we've forgotten it. We don't want to forget 9-11. In fact, I had a neighbor that was in one of the Twin Towers when they went down. She came out. She survived. Man, that was a devastating day. We were worried. People were afraid. They didn't want to go to events. But I'm going to tell you what, the church house was packed that week for one week. They even got over it. They wanted to know why this happened. You had preachers on television saying it's the hand of God. No, it wasn't the hand of God. Don't say that. That's horrible. It was a terrorist attack. You see, here's the thing. Fear is exactly what Satan tries to use against us to drive us away from God. How many of you ever watched The Passion of the Christ? So what's The Passion of the Christ? Great, great, fantastic movie. Fantastic. But there's a scene in there that a lot of people never understood in that movie. And it's a scene that if we understand it, man, it will open your eyes up tremendously to what Satan was trying to do. Is when Jesus was being beaten with the cat on nine tails. He was being beaten brutally. And a lot of people say, oh, well, he got 39 lashes. He was being beat by the Romans, not the Jews, so they could beat him as many as they wanted. They could beat him as many as they wanted. But you see a scene where Satan, or the person that's portraying Satan, is walking around with a little baby in its arms. I guarantee every one of y'all looked at that and said, what in the world is that meaning? The whole purpose of what Satan was trying to say at that point was, look at how God is treating his son, and look at how I care for mine. And you see, that's what Satan wants to deceive you with. Oh, if you would be my child, if you'll live for me, I'll comfort you. I'll take care of you. I'll bless you. I'll watch over you. I'll prosper you. I'll help you. I'll give you help. I'll do this. I'll do that. And it is nothing but a bunch of bold-faced lies to cause you to fear serving God because he'll throw everything at you the moment you turn against him. He wants to use fear. And that's exactly what they were trying to do to Nehemiah. He says, let us meet together in the house. They're going to come at night. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you in the middle of the night. You won't be able to protect yourself. You know what we do? We, we go get another padlock on the door, right? Put another revolver in our nightstand. And, because we're going to be all scared that somebody might break in. You know what? I'm a southerner. And I have never owned a gun. I know some of y'all look at me like, you are blooming crazy. No, I got a candlestick, remember? <laughs> you know why? Because I don't fear. I don't worry. You know, you know why? Because they can't take my life until it's my time to go. Nobody can touch me until God says so. So if it's my time, it's my time. 
That's why I don't worry about those things. God's got me. Let me tell you something. I went to school in New Orleans. You better be ready. You're talking about a place you need to pack. You need to pack in New Orleans. But I didn't. You know why? Because, again, I don't have to fear. Satan wants you to fear. He wants you to fear living for the Lord. He wants you to fear going to church. He wants you to fear doing all these things that God is calling you to do. Why? Because if he can get you to fear, he's got you. Fear is one of his greatest tactics. Why do you think the words to Joshua were over and over again from God? Be strong and courageous. In other words, don't fear. Don't worry. Don't let these things get in your way. Don't forget that you're serving a great God who is greater than he is in this world. He will protect you. He'll watch over you. You can't do it yourself. Only God can. I don't care if you're packing or not. God's got you. That's the truth. They wanted Nehemiah to fear. And guess what? They tried to get him to sin. They said, let's go into the temple and let's shut the doors. The safest place was the temple of God. But guess what? Nehemiah wasn't a Levite. So guess what? He didn't belong in the temple. He didn't belong in the Holy of Holies. Only the priests could go there. And Nehemiah wasn't a priest. So if he had gone in there, he would have shown fear. If the leader shows fear, guess what happens to the people? They get timid. I'm thankful for a strong leader of the United States of America. How about you? I don't think he fears anything. Not even Rocket Man. You see, that's the thing. Satan wants us to fear. He wants you to fear going into these third world countries that need to hear about Jesus. Why? Because if you're afraid to go over there and tell them about Jesus, they'll never hear. He wants you to fear going to the Middle East. I'm telling you, I got friends that are over in the Middle East sharing the gospel with people. He wants you to fear doing those things because he wants you to think it's not worth it. But the truth is, when it's our time, it's our time. And fear is only going to take away the life that you have to live. He could have gone into the holy place. He could have saved his life. But you know what he said? He said, you know what? I'm not going to set that example. I'm not going to be afraid of man. Not only am I not going to be afraid of man, but I'm not going to break the law of God to protect my own self. He met fear with strength and prayer. Because verse 14, he says, my God, think upon Tobiah and Sembal according to these works and the prophets Nodiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. Remember those who tried to make me fearful. Remember those who tried to tear me apart from you. Remember those who tried to scare me to where I wouldn't keep doing your will. Because that's what you'll face when you're doing what God's called you to do. You will face trials, difficulties, problems. The third thing they tried was a conspiracy. Look in verse 15. So the law was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month, Elu, in 52 Days. Man, they were thinking it was going to take years. 52 days. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Johanan, and had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Barkai, as they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my word to him. And Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. Isn't that funny? 
Nehemiah's there doing the best he can to protect the people. And yet there's people still inside the walls that are passing notes with the enemy, trying to give away the plan. That's called treason. <laughs> we have some of that in our own country, don't we? Treason. He's like, look, why in the world would you be giving the enemy the plan? Why would you be more concerned with those that are outside the walls and those that are inside the walls? Why would you be more concerned with the enemy than you are with your family? Why would you be so concerned to want to keep giving them the rights to your life when in truth God has already built up this protection for you, surrounded you, watched over you, and has taken care of you? Why would you choose the enemy over God? That's the question. Why would they do such a thing? You ready for this? Because they only cared about themselves. We got some of that going on in this country too, don't we? And when you look at all the mess that was going on in the time of Nehemiah, you know what Nehemiah could have said? He could have said, you know what? I'm going back to be a cupbearer. It was easier there. You guys don't want walls. I'm cool. I got a cushy palace I get to live in. I get to sip wine and give it over to the king. That might be poison, but at least I get to sip the wine, right? And he could have had all kinds of things he could have said. He could have said, you know what, guys? I don't want this job anymore. I didn't want this job, but God gave it to me. And here's the thing. When God gives you a job, it's not always going to be easy. But when God is on your side, you will overcome whatever difficulties you face. Nehemiah overcame so many problems. And not only problems that were facing him personally, but even problems that were facing the people of Israel. And that's where we come to the fourth problem, which was a problem of purity. When we come to chapter 7, I'm not reading the whole chapter. I know y'all just would love for me to read all those names, wouldn't you? I'll let you go ahead. Y'all start reading the names right now, all right? That's a lot of names. But I want you to understand this census was important. In fact, this census was so important, it was actually written in two books. This is also found in Ezra chapter 2. It's the exact same census in Ezra 2. Because why? You say, well, why did they use a census? Why did they need to know? Why was there a registry? Because they wanted to know who was a citizen of Israel. Sound familiar? I'm going to tell you, what Nehemiah is going through is a lot of what our country is going through. A lot of it. He said, if you are not of the people of Israel, you can't stay. Now, understand why. It's for different reasons, okay? You need to understand this. Why in the world were they so important about staying pure? It was simply this. It was because if they allowed people from other nations into the land of Israel, they would corrupt them and take them away from the God of Israel. That was it. That's it. That's why they weren't allowed to intermarry with other races. That was it. It wasn't a racial thing, was it? It was a religious point of view. It was for the purposes. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people try to use 2 Corinthians. Don't be unequally yoked. You know what that's about, right? That's not about marrying people from other nations or other races. That's about marrying people from other religions. That's all that's about. It's about keeping your heart pure with God. When I look at this, and, and that's exactly the whole point of the purity in the nation of Israel was to keep them pure and their hearts undefiled from God. Because look at verse 61. This is where the problem arises. 
Nehemiah 7. And these were they which went up also from Telmalah, Telharashai, Shirab, Adam, and Emer. But they could not show their father's house nor their seed whether they were of Israel. The children of Deliah, the children of Tobiah, the children of Nakoda, 642. And of the priests, the children of Abiah, the children of Koz, the children of Barzaliah, which took one of the daughters of Barzaliah the Gileadite to wife and was called after their name. These sought their register among those who were reckoned by genealogy, but it was not found. Therefore were they as polluted, but put from the priesthood. And the Tirshethah said unto them that they should not eat of the most holy things till they stood up a priest with Urim and Thummim. Purity. Purity. Now some people would say, wouldn't it have just been easier to have accepted them? I mean, shouldn't we take unity over purity? <laughs> sure. Not. You say, but don't we want unity? And then what God teaches, the answer is yes, but at what cost? You can never give up unity in order to have purity. Here's the truth. If somebody's wrong in the word of God, it is okay to call them out on it. If you begin to listen to false teachers, you're foolish for listening to them. The truth is, is you need to know the Word of God. You need to be like the Bereans. And I tell people this all the time. I have no problem if somebody wants to check up on what I preach. Why? Because you should. If they checked up on Paul, you better believe me and every other pastor should be checked up on. Don't just accept it as fact. Look it up. Which means you have to study a little bit more, right? I'm just fine with that. Read on. But they wanted it to be pure. They didn't want to be deceived. They didn't, want people, they didn't want people inside the walls that could take them away from God. And neither did Nehemiah. Nehemiah wanted to spare the people from having this happen to them. And so he was willing to deal with a problem that was right there within the walls. You say, well, what does that mean? That means he put them outside the walls. He put them outside until what? Until they could find out from God whether they belonged in there or not. And here's the truth of the matter. If you know that you belong there, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, you may be put out of the way for just a moment, but God will reveal that truth. The only ones that will usually fight are the ones that know they're wrong. That's it. Scripture makes it very clear. I'm telling you, Nehemiah was dealing with a lot of things that our nation is dealing with right now. A lot of them. So you know what that means for me? I'm going to tell you what it means for me. It means I pray for my president. Now, here's, here, I want you to understand something. If you don't like him and you don't agree with him, that's fine. He's still your president. You still pray for him. I can tell you, he needs to stop the Twitter mess. There's no doubt. But I'll respect him and I'll pray for him. And I'll love him because he's my president. And when they vote in a new president, I'll pray for them and love them and want the best for them as well. Why? Because it's my president. I, it always blows me away. These people say, that's not my president. Then move. Then move. I've, we've lived under some bad presidents. I didn't, I didn't move when Clinton was here. Now I might be assassinated. Y'all watch out. <laughs> I 
Moving on. <laughs> pray for your president. Pray for the senators. Pray for the congressmen. Pray for the justices. Pray for these people that God has put in leadership. Pray for your governor. Pray for your lieutenant governor. Pray for those state officials, for your state senators. Pray for these people. Why? Because God has put them in leadership for a reason, and we need to pray for them. I want God to bless them. I want God to use them. I mean, if people would have been praying for Nehemiah, and I believe they were. I believe they were praying for Nehemiah, and that's why Nehemiah could be such a bold leader. That's why Nehemiah was not afraid. That's why Nehemiah could face fear head on, and he never worried about it. And that's what we need to be praying. We need to be praying for this next election that's coming up. We need to pray. You ready for this? I don't have a candidate. I'm just saying we need to pray for our next president. You want to know why? Because it's not my place to, to tell you who it is. Not my place. What is my place is to simply tell you this. Go vote. And then go pray and pray that God's man or woman gets in that office and pray that God's man or woman gets in that Senate seat, in that Congress seat. Pray that God will move in our country because we need to come back. But I'm here to tell you, it's not going to happen by political powers. It's going to happen when the church gets on its knees. Here's the truth of the matter. You're going to face when you're doing the will of God, you're going to face personal attacks. It's going to happen. Now, I will give you, I'll give you one quick secret to help you out. If somebody sends you a letter and doesn't sign it, trash it. Because if they're not bold enough to sign it, I ain't bold enough to read it. Cowards send letters. Here's the thing. If you got a problem with somebody, my Bible says go to them. Not to other people, go to them. So if you face a personal attack, be strong enough to stand up to it. But also at the same time, if you're innocent, you don't have to defend yourself. You trust God to take care of you. You trust that God will bring you through. And you trust that no matter what, God is on your side because you're doing what he has called you to do. Be strong in the Lord. Be courageous. Do not fear. Do not compromise and do not worry about what the enemy is trying to do. Put your trust in the Lord and stand strong on the truths of God and God will make your paths successful.